Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. Beth, I cannot believe it. this is our season finale episode. I'm so excited. We have a fabulous guest and we've had a fantastic season. How are you doing this morning? I think I might get emotional, Caroline. Oh my goodness. Really special and probably one of the best projects I've ever done and certainly got me through COVID times. And it's just incredible that we're finishing season two. The good news is we're moving on to season three soon. Oh, I'm so excited. And I love that we were able to have more guests on this season because I think that not only did we get more of a peek into how your process works and the people in your life, how everything works when it comes to set decoration, but also how we can bring those people into our own lives. And I'm super excited to have a new guest with us today. He is rivaling our great guest from season one, AJ Stetson, who totally helped us finish out season one. And if listeners, if you guys haven't listened to that one, please head over to season one and listen to that finale. Absolutely. And everybody should check out ajstetson.com because he's had quite the spectacular year as well, above and beyond the masked project. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad that we were a part of his sort of early beginnings, if you will, right? When he was just being discovered. Oh, you saw nuggets of greatness in him. And I'm so glad we got to bring him to our listeners. Today, we're coming to our listeners with another great. This guy is not only a fantastic friend, but also a fantastic secret vendor that you're going to tell us all about. I know. I can't believe I'm really spilling the tea here. (laughs) And for those of you who are local, you're going to go run to John Koch Antiques on West 84th Street and buy all my good stuff. But um, (laughs) yes, John has been not only one of my top notch vendors, but a good friend for probably over 15 years. Um, We first met when there were more antiques dealers and even usually a Saturday and Sunday antiques open market in Chelsea in the West 20s. And, you know, in those days, it was sort of known that there were a few estate buyers. For me, that worked really well because the turnover of great stuff was almost just as quickly as we work in the film business. So there was always something new great to look at. John, I think, has a very discerning eye, one that I really appreciate. And he and I started working together. He really got the concept of character development rapidly. And that's been so important, how much your job revolves around forming that character through the choices that you're making, which I think a lot of people don't realize. I think when we're watching a show, we say, oh, I love how the writers created this character. And that's fantastic. But also your layer of giving them this whole life, this whole world that we visually get to see. We're really trying to bring that to life for our listeners. Yes. And we're asking people to, you know, even go back and watch and approach it. You know, those of you who asked me about becoming a set decorator or what the work is like, that's the way to do it. Kind of just go back in and look at the visuals and see what you can pull out, you know, for your interest in a specific film or for your own home. So Beth, why is it important for you and and especially your relationship with John to use antique or used furniture in your work? Why not just spend time roughing up new stuff? Well, there's just no way to do that and have it be evocative of a certain time. You know, part of my layers of life mean that maybe one character's grandmother really did hand down her break front. And, you know, I may take that break front. And as I was posting on Instagram this week, telling people, you know, you take that break front, you put some 
beautiful wallpaper in it, paint the shelves, the color to match the the wallpaper. I did that on the set of The Good Wife with Ralph Lauren Paisley wallpaper in an antique piece and painted the shelves actually a bright orange to match the paper. You know, these antique pieces that John provides, whether I change the hardware on them or just shine them up, really do a little bit of an overhaul on them. It's just, again, adding another rich, rich, layer of patina and storytelling to what I'm doing. I want to encourage all of those home DIYers out there who are thinking distress, distress. I want to use chalk paint and all this stuff to really stop and think about if you really want that look, if that's what you're going for, go for some authenticity and head over to John Koch Antiques and places in your area and find a truly authentically used piece. And I think you'll get the look you're you're going for even more at a different level than, you know, spending time in your garage stripping and, and and, uh, roughing up a brand new piece. Oh, absolutely. Even talking about just the activity of it, it's hard to take, you know, uh, contemporary man-made materials and make them look like something other than wood, <laughs> real yeah. live wood. And, you know, you're participating in recycling and something that's important, reuse and restore. It's really fun. And people tend to have these kinds of pieces in their lives. We've talked through all of COVID about repurposing that old piece that you might have had in one room and putting it in another. Just having an affinity to really look and see those pieces that have history and things that are so unusual. With John, what I get is that just oddball item that is going to really be something that captures somebody's eye. This is the place where you go in there and look differently. Don't look at something and say, oh, that's beat up or that's old. Look at it and say, how can I refurbish that? And I think that's another fantastic point in the discussion with John today that we're going to have. He does refurbishing. And so that's something that to to keep in mind, a lot of us have a piece that maybe we're digging out of an an old garage or an attic and, you know, maybe it's got a bum leg or maybe it needs, you know, some some help that that doesn't mean that it's beyond all uh, good in your home. You can definitely fix those lost causes and John is a perfect person to help you with that project. Yep. I'm assuming that people have completed their spring cleaning at this point. (laughs) That's like, uh, uh, um. (laughs) if you haven't, if if you haven't, now's the time, (laughs) you know, the, the season of summer is starting thinking about top layer of life, antique pieces, thinking about history, what might have been in your family, what you may walk into a store and connect to, some old signage or, you know, from a product that you loved when you were a kid or any tin or box or something that you can actually put your hands on and it's so evocative of a a memory and a time in your life. Now more than ever... (laughs) my peeps now more than ever this is the time to make those kinds of connections because they're very satisfying for the soul Beth, I'm so excited to bring our listeners John Koch from John Koch Antiques. Today, we're going to have Mike, our producer, actually sit in with you and get to talk with him. Boy, listeners, you guys are in for a treat. John is dynamic. He has got so many fantastic answers for all of us who want to know, how do I find a discerning eye to be looking out for great stuff for me? And he also can give you some tips and tricks about how to deal with your local antique dealer. Like, they don't want to hear your whole life story. It's a good tip. I think you guys need to, need to, we all need to know that they can help you in a specific way if you can bring them all the right information. And that's what Beth does for John. And I can't wait to bring him to you. Here's John Koch from John Koch Antiques. So we're back here on Decorating the Set. This is actually our season finale episode, Beth. I, I'm so excited that I get to step in to Caroline's shoes for this upcoming interview. Can you believe that you're finishing another season, Beth? I cannot believe it. And it's 
so thrilling. I'm I'm going to miss you guys while we're down for a little bit, but we're going to come back for season three, believe it. it or not. The magic of podcasting is that while people are listening to this, we're already going to be starting to brainstorm and, and getting to work on the new season. So I don't want to tarry too further because I am very excited about today's interview. Joining us today is John Koch. He's the owner and founder of John Koch Antiques, a uh, antique store located on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. John, thanks so much for coming on Decorating the Set today with me and Beth. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's such an honor to be on the finale. We love having people that Beth has worked with for a long time on the show because we are always trying to get them to spill the tea on her specifically. We, we love getting some behind the scenes Beth stories that she wouldn't tell us uh, herself. But before we get there, though, I want to I want to ask you uh, and before we have got how you got to know Beth, uh, tell us about John Koch Antiques. Uh, how did you get into the antique furniture business? Uh, give, give us the origin story. Well, I got into it, uh, the antique story, by graduating in 1981 and coming to New York with my newly minted diploma from Georgetown and not getting a job. No one would hire me for any amount of money for any reason or doing any type of work except a moving company. So I got a job as a furniture mover. We did a lot of work for Sotheby's and I used that story to a, the largest importer of European furniture in New York and got a job managing his warehouse. Then got my hands on some clients, you know, got more familiar with the items and a certain type of items and opened my first place uh, in 1985, my first at the location down at West 24th Street between 10th and 11th, where the art gallery district is now in New York. Now, back now, then it was different. Is the love of antiques something that came out of just the necessity of needing a job and it just kind of snowballed? Or was there like a pre-existing interest in older furniture or used furniture, stuff that had had a past in a life already before you got to it? Definitely. I was picking at tag sales and shops in high school and uh, in college to supplement uh, my income. I would be buying silver at a place called the Thieves' Den in Northern Virginia, which is quite a name. And uh, Man, that could be so many different things. That could be so many different places, <laughs> the Thieves' Den. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and then I found I could buy silver there and then sell it to New York, bring it up on the when I came back home and I could sell, you know, for a profit to the New York dealers. So I had that little subtle side gig going on. So I had a definite interest in the stuff. And I can tell you that John's eye is so genius and so cultivated that it does generate from either really good DNA or his work, <laughs> you know, in, in the college years and teen years, because he is... He is 100% spot on every time. You are a discerning taste yourself, Beth, if anyone who's listened to the podcast knows. You have very exacting standards on what you're looking for, but also an eye towards the unexpected as well. Tell us, tell the listeners, how you found John. John. How did you find John Koch Antiques? And talk about the beginning of that working relationship together. John was out there on the fringe, known as a vendor. I don't remember exactly which job we connected on, but it was definitely one of those relationships that's certainly developed over time to where we're almost frighteningly on the same wavelength. We just talk in code, you know, very few words. What I laugh about is we're at the point where um, he doesn't, sometimes he doesn't even send me a picture of something. I just know that he knows what's right and what I'm doing. And I just say to him, just send it. Just, just add it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, but, but now is it, is it really like that though? Or is it, is it, uh, how specific do you have to be at this point, having worked together for so long? Do you, is it, I need a wicker headboard that's, you know, this color, or is it just, I'm doing a 1965, you know, bedroom set. What do you have? Yeah, I think we, speak in character and we kind of both have the same concept and opinion to define a certain period or a certain character and I definitely give him buzzwords and through the years you know he he watches the shows and you know we connect constantly because if there's ever anything I can't put my hands on 
John does. It's it's so eerie sometimes. I don't know. I I speak of finding the mother load. You know, often I've talked about what that's like, and I'd say you know it happens for me the most at John Koch Antiques. That that is. It's my go-to. And John and I have this solid connection and I trust him, even if it's a piece that doesn't end up being on the set that I had it in, intended for. I always come back around to whatever I you know, purchase from him or rent. It's just the perfect communication and collaboration. We really have a good time. This then comes back to you and the essence of who you are and how you buy. Because, you know, I'm an estate buyer. We're only going to be as good as what we bought that week. In that lot, we'll be processing tons of ways to get a few gems. And Beth is not afraid to jump on one of these gems, even though there's no script in front of her that requires it. She just... she. She wants it. She knows that it's special. She's willing to put her budget on the line, secure the piece, and wait. And I can remember you, over the course of a, a season on one of the shows we were working on, you had started gathering these really fantastic pieces. It was characters that a home apartment uh, was going to be revealed. And we split one of these wall-mounted bookcases into two bookcases on either side of a fireplace. And then, boom, there's the desk that you bought three months prior showing up. Yes. <laughs> and that set was so stunning. It totally wowed me. And I'm so jaded by a lot of this. But uh, I'm so happily still surprised when I just see great work. And it was something that you had put together over the course of months even though you had only had that script for a week. You know, what happens is because of how we work in television and it's so quick and we use all our resources to the max, me being able to have a shop space and get what I want or what I see out of John's tightly packed store, that also kind of gives me an opportunity to create the palette because, you know, unlike any other place really... I almost pick a character and design something around a piece that I have, which is basically what John is saying. But I have the opportunity to do that. You know, I'll, this one set of Bentwood furniture that he's talking about also, I had to have it. <laughs> I worked it out in my budget and I got it. But then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at things in my shop, you know, that like we might have stored that on you know, the third tier of one of the racks where benches were. But, you know, every day that I'm in my shop and I'm looking, I'm, I'm like, I have to incorporate that. We have to figure out a way. And in a lot of ways, it helped to be, you know, on the same show for a long time, because obviously we were all very invested in what the character was and, you know, what fit that particular character. But the things that John has and what speaks to me so much is just I feel like his eye is my, is the closest to my own personal aesthetic. I'm so happy when I see one of those pieces. You know, here's a little tea to share. John and I also must have the same sleep schedule, which is you know <laughs> equal to insomnia. Because right at that moment when I shouldn't be checking my phone again, but I do, there's the email from John. So, uh, you know, he helps put me back to sleep with the, the thought of that dresser with the, you know, painted flowers on it. It's funny you mention that because, uh, I mean, I'm up pretty early every day. I'm usually up by 6, 6.30. And I was setting up this interview. John had sent an email and I looked at the timestamp and I think it was like 3.05 a.m. And, <laughs> and, 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 and how, now having worked for Beth for two years, I, I was like, man, I understand why they're friends. There's there's some magic hour stuff going on in the middle of the night when mere mortals are sleeping. So it made a lot of sense. It's true. We're on the same wavelength in a lot of ways. And, you know, we the one thing about John, is, you know, he's been in the business so long and in his end of the business, working with interior designers, plus working with set decorators, plus working with just everyday shoppers, he really understands, you know, of of all people when I call and say, oh, you know, that living room we were doing, now it's a bunker. 
you know, (laughs) for instance. And, you know, he's like, okay, you know, I won't send you any more upholstery. He just understands the industry, my end of the industry. You know, how many times have I done a late night drive-by you know, because he has a retail store that stays open later. You know, how many times have I done the drive-by and I'm just like, just put it in the car, put it in the car, you know? The eye that you see in John, Beth, is a trust that's developed over years. And and you guys have worked together for 15 plus years at this point. But John, that's a relationship that you're building. So how did you go from a retail business, which you still have, but now the idea of working with set decorators and working with production designers? Tell us, how did you get into that business in the first place? Because I imagine it has to be somewhat different than working with retail customers and interior designers. Tell us a little bit how you got into it. Sure. My first location was on West 24th Street between 10th and 11th the third floor of a warehouse. And it was back in the time when we had uh, daytime prostitution and crack issues. And 10th and 11th in West Chelsea was a really no-fly zone. That's where I opened up a store. Um, <laughs> with a sandwich sign downstairs, you know, and my friends who were saying, hey, honey, you want a date? And, and they were lovely, actually. The girls were lovely. We should make clear for listeners now, we fondly remember these as the good old days in New York, yes. though. Oh, yeah. It sounds yeah. like, like, but it was a total mood. You know, my mother worked in the garment district, and I remember her carrying me, like, my feet never hitting the ground from Penn Station sure. over to the warehouse where she worked. I look back on it so fondly, watching the junkies and the prostitutes and the and the peep show, you know, buildings that you would pass by. The good old days of New York. Are you you know, people think we're crazy, but the fact that they were there, that enabled that base to be available, and that landlord gave me a 20-year lease for 4,500 square feet with just two months' rent and no co-signer. Well, that's just impossible. Yeah. I mean, that could never happen today. But I was in business, and I, when I decided to leave my, my employer, I had my shop up and running in three days. And back then, there was we were never really sort of on the street. We, we'd sell to anybody. We were doing guerrilla marketing and this and that. Because we were an estate buyer, we had um, all the dealers coming in. John Roselli, John Birch from Wyeth, Andy Lynn from Lynn Weinberger. They shopped our store pretty regularly, and they were like a pretty robust. But back then, there wasn't the same amount of television on movie production so what I like in this business is source. I want to go to the source, and that's where I want to buy. I don't want to go to Brimfield. I don't want to go to an antique show. Or These are all nice things to do, but they're not for me. I want to go to a dead person's house. I want to buy the contents, which is one number, and it, you take everything. And that's how John functions as an estate buyer. And, you know, that's changed through the years because in the times when this all sort of started, the level of items that were there to be had were kind of different. But also John had to work really hard to get his hands on these things because in those days, honestly, family heirlooms stayed in the family. You know, it's it's not like now when everybody wants to have everything white and new and they don't really care about their grandparents' dresser or break front. You know, buying an estate, you never know what you would find. Right, John? No, you never know until you go there. And and then even in the process of doing it, you know, stuff is revealed. All of right. us who bid this uh, business always put in a line item for the unseen item. There's something in this house that we don't know about, and we're putting a, an amount of money to uh, attach to that line because it's there. And if we're going to win these bids, we're going to ha- we're going to have to do that because it is a bidded system. We just don't come in lowball a number and walk away with the stuff. There's few of us now, but back in the day, there were I don't know three, four individuals that were buying, and plus the auction houses. So you would negotiate with the families 
or the or the executors or the bank, whoever whoever was handling the or the public administrator, whoever was handling the estate. Is your competition in that business then like the Sotheby's and the Christie's, or are you dealing with different kinds of families where maybe it's a little invisible to the to those kinds of auction houses? If it's Sotheby's and Christie's, it's the bottom part. They take what they want and then. They will then kick it down to they'll give out a list of names for people to, you know, to go and, and, and bid what's left. But, you know, I listen, the right house, I'll take the maid room, the maid's room furniture. Oh, for uh, sure. Because for sure. it's amazing what people have and and where the treasures are are in the in the house. There there was a boon a couple of years ago at the when when reality television became a really big thing, a really hot commodity. But probably ten years ago at this point, Storage Wars became yes. a very popular show, and based on the same idea, pe- people flocked to watch this show because you had these people bidding on the contents of storage lockers of people that maybe promised treasures unseen and they would bid without having been able to inventory it on the idea of the unseen item that you were just talking about. So I think, I think everyone likes the mystery of that. You've made it a great business. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, well they, but, but the person who would drive me from appointment to appointment, he wanted to give up his gig, his job so that he could be one of these locker buyers. And I'm just saying, this is, that's all fake. That's all totally staged because you know who doesn't pay their bill for a storage locker is somebody who has a room full of wet records and newspapers you know right. and there's not a brand new harley in the back there right. <laughs> you know right, that right, right, never right. happens <laughs> Damn never it. never never happens you know and those lockers those guys are tough they make you take it all and you have to leave with it it's not like you can just pick through the room and you leave and right. some of the estates you know back in the day we would just pick for choice where the bid was for choice we would go in take what we wanted it could be just as few as two things and then leave an aspect of the, of the show that we often talk about is bringing hollywood to your home because That's she has experience are. you know the set decorator but there's also the interior designer and, and you know making your best space be the best reflection of you beth i'd like to ask you how do you approach going to john if you're doing it for a private client versus doing it for a show and john dealing with the industry versus dealing with retail customers how is it different for both of you in your approach and how you use use furniture and antique furniture okay for me i think that there are pieces like chandeliers and sconces that you know maybe you wouldn't see in a tv or movie set or maybe uh wouldn't kind of be the right choice because of uh on set issues with the director of photography and anything reflective yes anything (laughs) reflective um but you know those are certainly some of my go-to items when i'm doing a private interior i also tend to keep those really super high-end and special pieces for private client you know a number of homes i've done Literally the first piece that I've purchased for the entire home, very high end, a number of times the first piece, oh, it always starts with John Koch. You know, yeah. that's kind of my lucky ticket, you know, to create the rest of the place. And it sort of always comes back around, you know, that sets the tone, the mood. I will confess to owning my own fantastic piece from John Koch, which there was no way that it was going to anyone else. I couldn't live without it. My bedside table used to be the bedside table of Bess Meyerson. Wow. That comes with a top, really thin, but completely carved out drawer for jewelry storage. And it is the most unique thing I've ever seen. I, I, I mean, yes, you know, now it's you Dunbar, can... Dunbar, I think. Wasn't it Beth? I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. And, you know, in, in all the years I've had it, I've always had in my mind, okay, one day when my car is a little slow, I'm going to throw it in there and bring it to John because he also has a brilliant refinisher. Anyway, finally, probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years later, we refinished it and and I bought a piece of milk glass to put on top of it. And it's just, you know, such a precious piece to me. Anyway, there was no way I was losing it to any set because, you know, 
nobody's going to appreciate that special drawer unless someday I'm on something that has a script written for the perfect drawer that opens and I'll, I'll lend it to the job. Or someone who maybe is a, you know, if you're doing the best Meyerson biopic. Oh, fascinating figure of history that probably doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Yes. A New Yorker. Uh, how about you, John? How do you deal or how do you find your business changes or the way you interact with customers when you're dealing with a set decorator and, and the industry at large versus retail clients who are just coming in because they're window shopping on the Upper West Side or, or, or interior designers like Beth who are doing private client refurbishings. We offer the same sort of price to the trade, to the decorator trade, to the to the set decorators. Our discounts are not based on who you are, but how much you buy. So um, if someone buys a lot, even as an individual, we'll look at our pricing towards them one way. And of course, the set decorators, they are constantly buying for a pro- one project or another. In dealing with the retail customer, I don't ever want to talk about their coffee table. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, they come in with impossible things about their mother had a table that sat 62 people, but folded down to four and a half inches and you could put it in your bag. And, um, and then say, and she's been looking for it for years. And now they're like well into the story. And you're like, I'm never getting that 10 minutes back. So I will then somehow exit the store. Um, and John, you can't be running out of your own I, store, I, my I, man. I, 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 I do. I really do. I'll go get a haircut. I'll go get a pizza, slice of pizza. I'll do something to get out of that store. And I will not go to clients' houses. I just will not do it. Um, unless I, they're dead. You, you yeah, unless they're dead, exactly. <laughs> unless, there's a, unless there's a cold body. Because, you know, they want free advice that they should be paying someone for, but they're not going to listen to it anyway. Yes, right. so, that's true. Uh, so I, I have a hard and fast rule, and all clients are good. Right. You know, it's business. And it's just that uh, retail is not where my business is at. It's less than 20% of our sales. So, um, but it takes up a disproportionate amount of my time, and it's where all of the problems come from. And, and is that because people are so precious about their individual lives versus maybe people who are doing bulk or buying for they're buying for their own jobs, you know? Or you know, how about like me? Ruthless. Give it to me. Oh, it's a box of, uh, you know, one wood box and some marbles and some poker chips. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, exactly. I mean, because it has character. Right. It has right. life. I mean, every time I call, like, do you happen to have uh, four pairs of period eyeglasses? Do you have, you know, a, a leather-bound leather books? Do you have whatever it yeah. is in the moment? It's like everybody around me knows Beth went to call John. Like, right. it's just how it goes. And what I find is because of how John works and operates, I don't know about anybody else, but with me, just the shorthand makes it happen. The other thing that's just miraculous is literally I could go there on a Tuesday and buy, send my truck. And by Thursday, I could be back there looking at all new things. You know, the turnover of everything is not like, I think because of all the work with film and TV and with interior designers the turnover is very quick you know like if you want to if you want something you better not wait because it's going to have a sold sticker on it that's how it goes and also when i go into a house and there's a desk set up i'm taking the pencil box and i am securing the pencils and pens in it as they were in it which is like a very natural way for them to exist. Because if you went to go do that or ask someone to do that, you know, three and a half hours disappear. And a simple thing turns into a huge thing for a lot more money. And I'm taking the the sticky spice racks out of the kitchen and, again, securing them so that they're all intact, and in, including the grime, because that's sometimes what the set calls for. Right. That's the patina that it needs. So I'm not sending somebody out and getting a phone call or a text. Do you want multicolored rubber bands or do you want brown rubber bands? You know, and what am I going to say? I'm going to say, take the ball and run with it. Get both rubber bands. 
And then the pencil box. <laughs> what John provides goes way beyond because it's a life lived. You know, you're yeah. you're touching, seeing, dressing with things that are lived in. The other thing that John works uh, very closely with us on is clearing artwork, clearing period artwork. Mm -hmm. As we've reviewed many times talking about art, legal clearances are what we all need in the film business. That's a whole other element that brings interesting life to a set, whether it's old photos or paintings and you know, if anybody's going to tap into a professional, say like, you know, someone was an artist for 60 years of his life, that's what John is going to find and bring to us. So oh, it's kind of transferring a real person to a character. About how many of those Grumbacher paint cases that have I uh, sold you with a, where the tubes are all rolled up and the yep. brushes. I mean, you know, you just can't go to the store, buy it, set it up on set. It's all brand new. It doesn't look, you'd have to, again, assign a person to age that right. and make it look like it's used. But that type of thing, and I am so into, when I go into a house, I want to know the story of this house. I am more interested in what happened here than I am in really kind of what's there. Because often it's all, you know, some variation of the same old stuff. But the story, of, especially of a New Yorker, the woman came from North Dakota in the 20s. I'm riveted. I want to find out, wow, how, right. what happened? When did she come? What did she do? Who was she? You know, so I'm always looking for the story. I'm always packing up the medicine cabinets, the sewing kits and this. And I'm just oh, always the, the, the tin of buttons, the tin, the tin of, of buttons. buttons. Right. I mean, you, you can't even imagine on Bridge and Tunnel, one of our characters, right? She wanted to be a fashion designer. I mean, to, to be able to take that tin of buttons and put it next to her sewing machine. Literally, Ed Burns walks in, the director of photography walks in with him, the producers walk in, and everybody just gravitates to the tin of buttons. And, I mean, no, seriously, and they're all transported. I mean, transported to their mother's tin of buttons. And so am I. And it just, that's what it is. It it, that's what gives you the goosebumps. I was just walking through a store recently and I saw an old Royal Dansk Dutch cookies, uh, Danish mm -hmm. cookies tin. Sure. And I was eight years old in my grandmother's room and it was her sewing notions like yep. tin that she, you know, she would finish oh, the cookies yeah. and then she would keep like her buttons and maybe extra stuff like the little scissors and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And I saw and I, I had to like shake my head to like come back to the present because that's what that tin of cookies means. The nostalgia just it really transports you. Uh, yeah, there are these touchstones in the mm -hmm. in the house which are very evocative that bring they're charged with a lot of memory that sort of uh, to sort of uh, speak to all of us or, or most of us finding those items in the house and securing them and, and then offering them up it has really helped me stay relevant with the set decorators and the younger ones and and with Beth is because you know no one's really doing it at my competition um they're not doing that, that level, level. Of, yes. yeah. Right. Of uh, whereas I love that layering. Even I though John says it. the younger set decorators and Beth. <laughs> <laughs> experience it's, it's yeah. experience oh that's, that's what that that veneer is experience, experience. Uh, in the same way we were talking about how beth and and this is a conversation that's come up with beth a lot you know she'll buy a desk now for something that she doesn't even know she's going to need that you'll see show up two months from now when you go into a home has your eye changed that you look at it from I know this is the kind of thing will, that will wind up in some television show or some film. Do you look at it from that that point of view? Does that influence what kind of a state you're going to go after? Or is it still more visceral for you? More, this is just interesting old stuff that I want to take into my store. No, it definitely, if I feel that a house is fully fleshed out and hasn't been pre-cleaned or anything else, it is as it was, 
I will always go the extra bid to get that house because just by the nature of it being intact increases the chances that I'm going to find the tin of buttons, that I'm going to get the spice rack, and all the other little moments that that uh, that occur in these little houses that help tell a story or for, to help move that story along. I was in a house in the Upper West Side not too recently. I walked into this house, and it could have been in Beirut. I mean, it looked like it had been shelled for three years. <laughs> there was lathing, and the ceiling was on the bed, and the walls had fallen down, and and I'm just like in heaven, you know, yeah. and you can't get into the, you can't get into the master bedroom, but I'm there like, oh yes, we want this. <laughs> Bring the back the trucks please, up. Please. We are... <laughs> this is a house that I want. Come to Papa. Yeah, All right. It was, I got it. And it really was, it was just, a, it was like, and they're like shocked that, because other people had already walked out, but not me because, you know, people in New York, you know, you only have so much room. You only hold on to so much stuff. When you have someone that's holding on to everything, so your chances of getting that little thing that just looks like a strawberry with little strawberries that has pins in it for a sewing box are so much greater <laughs> than and the old Band-Aid tins and stuff. Yes, and also things that you don't necessarily think of home items, you know, like a medical cabinet from a doctor's office. But again... Through the years, now those have become completely hipster and a, a whole different thing with a whole different meaning. You know, that's going to be a great cabinet to keep my cookie jars in, you know, my cookie jar collection and all that kind of stuff. So through the times, things that we're looking for m might have changed. And even large pieces of furniture, you know, I changed them up by changing the hardware on them. You know, or sometimes we'll, like John said, we took a bookcase apart and used it on two sides of a fireplace, or we'll paint a piece. We'll find the perfect piece, perfect size, and we'll paint it. As a matter of fact, one of my first pieces for The Good Wife, the minute you walked into the law office, was a piece, this gorgeous, gorgeous Art Deco piece that used to be in the lobby of an Upper West Side apartment building as the reception desk. You know, it had scale and a height to it that worked perfectly in our reception. And we sent it out to one of John's vendors and, you know, had it painted. It was there for years. It was on the set for long as the show ran. That's the other thing is that John, I, you know, can see how a piece can be transformed. That's giving us even more life to it. I was reading recently in the, the business of used furnishings and antiques has had a major uptake over the last few years and, and no more so during COVID. And at the same time, the business of being in store, you know, it so much has moved online. Could you talk a little bit about the, the uptick in business of used furnishings? Why you think that is? Is that something that you've seen, uh, you know, filter down to, to your store and to your business? And also talk a little bit about how COVID affected your business. Well, it's, it's a good question. Um, COVID stopped everyone in their houses. People were working for home. People were now taking walks in the middle of the day in their neighborhood and were seeing things for the very first time. So we were, by appointment only, uh, and in the beginning, and or two people at a time, but we were seeing clients who even though we've been in this location for 15 years, we were seeing them for the very first time. We were now getting inquiries from people also in the neighborhood for desks and uh, new chairs and mirrors. People started to look at their apartments again. Uh, the industry has been in such a decline over the last oh, 10 years. It, uh, there's almost no one left in New York City. Mm -hmm. I'm like maybe the last a state house on the street in Manhattan. Wow. Um, there are, you know, there are some modern shops and a Biedermeier shop, but I'm like the last generalist left on the street. And that's shocking because there used to be 10 in that neighborhood. Right, right. We're starting to see a sort of revitalization at the retail level of people getting interested in it again. And it's it's been my thing for a long time that I the young, uh, the new furniture who's really 
your clients, well, established people have their stuff already, right. but the people that are on their first condo and co-op, they're buying stuff for the very first time. I could never quite figure out why they were always driven to sort of CB2 or restoration hardware or these large shops. And they weren't into this whole idea of uh, antique shops selling vintage furniture because it's like the ultimate in recyclables. No, no, new uh, no new trees were used in the making of any of it. The reality is catching up with uh, the times now because there was an article in the Washington Post from Ikea. They're going to get into the used furniture business because they see this. They see that this is something that is sustainable and it is green. You know, there's such value to be had. The antique dealers, for a large part, just made everything too expensive. They sent these kids screaming to these other stores by just asking too much money for stuff. But now that pendulum has swung back, and stuff is really affordable in shops. You can buy a 19th century chest for maybe within $100 of what a chest at Ikea is. Not only do people think that way, but when you look actually at the craftsmanship of how things were made and how a drawer slides and opens and closes and and literally the hardware, just the cost of the hardware, there's so much value to these pieces. You know, again, they just transform a space into anything but a cookie cutter look. Yeah, yes. I, I, and yeah, right. Instead of buying the, a similar table, like an apothecary table from Pottery Barn, right? This table is going to come with character and a story, whether you know it or not. It comes with a whole personality attached to it. I think there's something very human about the continuation of furniture. You know, it's a it's a way that we tell stories, and you know, how many stories involve I, we were sitting around this table or we were you know on that couch that we grew mm-hmm. up on, you know, from your childhood. And I think that's it's, it makes sense that people relate that way. I mean. Uh, even for, you know, transforming something into your own home, for instance, you know, I have a chair that was my grandmother's that I just haven't gotten around to reupholstering. But even if it's something that you don't want, you know, taking a piece of fabric from one of those chairs or sofas that you have that long life memory of, uh, maybe it's too flowery or too crazy to have the whole sofa you can, you know, cut a piece of the fabric and have it made into a pillow and still have that actual item. I have a friend right now who's going through her whole apartment and all these kinds of things. You know, some of them are being recycled and she's getting rid of some things. She's taking some photographs of them just to keep that memory alive. But there are ways that before things leave your life completely you can have a piece of, you know, your family history. You can't become the curator of everyone's, your, all your predecessor's stuff. You need to focus on those things, small, large, but just that are very evocative and then can shoulder the, you know, the burden of, of carrying all those good memories. That's such a great way to put it. We see a lot of people just totally at their wit's end trying to keep it all together, and it's never going to happen. They they need to just quietly figure out what it is that they want to bring forward to the next generation. Before we started recording, John, you and I were chit-chatting a little bit. We were talking about how so much stuff has moved online, where where people just look by picture now. Uh, talk a little bit about how that, how you feel about that versus people coming in and touching and 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 whether as a buyer, as you know, whether or not you would go into an estate sale with with not seeing the thing and just buying it, which, whether or not you would do that. But also as someone who's selling to set decorators to to the industry, has that changed your business? If people are just calling up and say, just send this. I saw a picture, just send it versus them coming in and touching it and feeling it. We all sort of now speak the same language in the set decorating world. But if someone asks for something and they're going to buy it sight unseen, then a lot of responsibility falls to me to make sure that that item is camera ready, that if it's large, they know how large it is. If it's bizarrely small, then I send it next to a Coke can um, (laughs) so, so that they can get the scale right. Because I have bought stuff that way, thinking I was getting these great doorstops and these 
two inch bookends showed up and and it was just it was bizarre how small these things were and because i had completely the wrong sense of scale right. uh, in my head and i've been doing this for a long time so that responsibility passes to me um they have to trust me that i'm going to send them something that yes those two legs that you didn't see they're there you know because you're going to be burning a client uh, i think they really kind of want the convenience of being able to buy it from picture but i just don't think that retail is there because the pictures distort and you know we're, we've been trying to train people's eyes in terms of going shopping with a tape measure and you know asking for dimensions and laying it out taping it out but it still is very hard. Photos are incredibly deceiving. On on set, a production designer I'm working with will go on a location and call me and say, oh, my God, this is an enormous job. It's so massive. And I see the photos, and we go through the photos and talk through everything. And then I get to the space. And in my opinion, it's minuscule almost so you know it even if you're even if you're shooting panoramic you know the way location scouts shoot where you're seeing one wall to the next part of the wall to the door to the next part of the wall to really give you a sense it is still even with an experienced eye very hard to tell until the item is, you know, actually in front of you in your hands and you're seeing it and touching it. And there have been times when is something that John has sent me, even, you know, great photos all around and I get it. And it just wasn't, you know, what I thought it was going to be. But honestly, since every piece is so great, it, it's always going to be like, Oh, remember that, you know, uh, side table that we thought was, you know, a big side table, but it was a small side table. Go get that thing. That's going to fit perfectly in this spot. <laughs> okay. yeah. That's what happens, you know, and then I'm so happy that I had it. It just takes a lot of talking, training, communicating, um, working together. It's, it's what our histories brought us. And it's fantastic. If Beth were to come to the store or someone comes to the store and we get into a conversation and then boom, click, oh, yes, I have this house coming in next Wednesday. It's got two of these in it. Let me send you those pictures. When someone is in the environment, then we're in the moment and discussing the job that other connections are made. Maybe not for that set, that moment, but for the next set. Yeah, I give John a heads up. Okay, you know, in 10 days, I'm going to need a wicker headboard. I Yes, I can spray paint it, but I'm looking for really a turquoise wicker headboard. I do give him... That's a bedroom really, I want to be in. That's a wild, <laughs> that's a wild sounding that's bedroom. Can, that's, that's Jeannie's bedroom. <laughs> Being in this situation, I do give John many crazy sounding tasks, I would say. I don't know. We, we both just say to ourselves, okay, I know that sounds crazy. And he says, oh, my God, that's a tall order this week. Um, but, you know, listen, nine times out of ten, again, I'll say it, it comes to fruition. It's so fun. You know, there are a lot of things that are difficult being a set decorator and doing my job. But um, in those moments, that's when... It all comes together and it feels really special. And it's also the pieces that I, I work with from John are inevitably what every actor is going to go to. You know, they, they, they're always responded to, you know, they, they, right. everybody walks on the set and it's, you know, superstar pieces. It's the tin of buttons effect. Yeah. It's that this, and it's also it's that it's fresh. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been in a prop house, hasn't been used on seventy-two commercials. Right. You know, it's this is 
Fresh Dead. John, <laughs> you've, you've uh, Fresh Dead. Uh, tell me about your your mother's table when you're dead, and I can come to your house and buy it. I don't want to hear about the four and a half inch leaves that fold down. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Is there a house? To, uh, is there any in the story? Are we going to someone's house? <laughs> yes. Is there a dead person? Yeah. Because I have learned what? you cannot buy from the living. You I, just can't. I haven't heard the square foot of what we're going to. Tell me about that. Uh, John, you've been so good with your time. We're just about wrapped up here, but I, I have to ask you if there's a little Beth secret you could spill for us here or some kind of memory you have from your time working. Preferably, she asked you for something impossible. You you said no problem, and then you pulled your hair out because you couldn't. Uh, you were you were stumped by her request. Something along those lines. Spill a little tea here for us. Beth is so far the only winner of the Kachi. Um, I love this. Awarded, Tell us about the Kachi for excellence in set decoration. When I first met Beth. Beth knew what she wanted, and she communicated it in just that way. It was quick. It was very businesslike, and I really, I love that. Beth knows what she wants. A lot of people will try to redirect a person to what they have. It's not a good idea with a professional. You need to listen to them. And I was really, and I think... Beth was the first set decorator that I really knew well enough that I learned this from. I learned like, oh, this is when you just be quiet and you listen and you will hear all the information you need to do this job. That was something that she gave me because other set decorators sort of did not sort of see the value in this relationship that she did. She's done a lot of firsts and this was one of the first that she brought to me was this how even as a mature antique dealer how i could be better at what i do and delivered in a way with all the answers on how to get there and it was just through listening and not trying to actively sell that was going to happen but if i could just be quiet and not try to talk about a dresser that she didn't want (laughs) and listen to what she needed and then said about that then it unlocked a whole next level of communication between us where this code that we had or this sort of the shortcuts in our way of communicating. Yes, I got you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because when Beth calls me on these moments, these last minute changes are dropped. There's a lot of activity going on. Nobody has as much time as they would want to explain themselves as thoroughly as they want to. So you either get with the program or step aside. People are stunned when I'm on the phone with John because they don't really hear a lot of words. <laughs> it's really like a Morse code. And then all of a sudden, I'm I, I'm not on the phone. And people, I mean, my assistant looks at me, you know, my Teamster driver, people look at and say, did you just talk to somebody? You know, and I know, I know he's on it. That's the beauty of John Koch. I may not get back to you until 3.30 in the morning, but I'm getting back to you. <laughs> That's all right. Beth is up. Beth is up right. and she's actively checking That's her right. email. So That's good. true. Well, we've uh, come full circle. That's for sure. John, where can people find Koch Antiques, you know, online? If you have any social media, you can plug them here or, you know, anything like that. Just uh, let people know where well, they, they can find you. Well, they can see the key elements of our current inventory at kochantiques.com. And we're located at... 201 West 84th Street in New York, between Broadway and Amsterdam. And that store is open six days a week. I just want to stress that it changes all the time. If you don't see what you want on Tuesday, as Beth says, by Thursday, it will be coming in, maybe. I'm currently in the market for vintage vinyl records. So if you ah. if you, if you happen to come across a dead collector... You want to talk of, to Spike Catskill. Yes. I, I do want to talk to Spike Alan and Catskill. John sent you. He's got a great rev vinyl shop um i always find the wrong records <laughs> poka so, poka poka and other greatest yeah, hits it's kind of always thing. it'll be i'll spend a hundred dollars on boxes to move them for twelve dollars worth of records oh, lord <laughs> so yes it's <laughs> for the good vinyl i definitely feel that you have to really establish a relationship with a, a purveyor i'll plug spike because he's great at it i love that yeah. i love that john Koch, thank you so much uh john Koch antiques uh, thanks for coming on our season finale our season two finale of decorating the set from hollywood to your home with beth kushnick well thank you for having me
Thank you, John. Thank you. Wow, Beth, I am blown away by that interview with John Koch. First of all, I think I'm in love with him. He's adorable. And he gave you you guys so many fantastic (laughs) tips and tricks that I feel like, man, I never appreciated how much you rely on the actual dealer to have that fantastic eye. I always think like, oh, it's on our shoulders as the shopper to to know what we're looking for. But now after this interview, I'm realizing if he doesn't bring in the stuff <laughs> that is the great stuff, I can't even do my part properly. Well, it's true. I mean, but he is a, a certainly a rare find. It's always a place that you can go that's just fun to peruse, you know, now that things are opening up a little bit more and I'm sure people are going to figure out what they want to get rid of from doing all their house updates this past year. So we'll probably see a lot more yard sales this summer. You know, when you find a reliable source like that, hold on to it, keep that relationship going. It's a rare thing, but it's a pleasure to collaborate with someone who I get and they get me and it just only makes the process even better. I'm so glad that we had him on this finale episode because it really brings me back to your conversation when we're talking about former relationship, even with the customer service person you're talking to so that they can actually help you. Can you remember way back? It was back in season one when we were talking about how you were like, you got to tell them what you need. You got to give the measurements and you've got to have your stuff ready. I feel like John is a perfect example of if you can nurture that relationship, he is going to keep his eye out for you. So now you you have, you know, a, a support person in the world looking out for those treasures. And it's really more of my tricks of the trade. As I've always said, it takes a village and there are a lot of people involved and a lot of ways in which, you know, in order to do my job and do the quick turnaround scenario that I live in, I do need to rely on a a fantastic team. That's what this has been for me, this podcast, my fantastic team, Caroline, you and Michael and Paul. I'm so appreciative and thrilled to be thinking about season three and signing off on season two. Thank you again so much to John Koch from John Koch Antiques. And thank you, listener, for listening to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. This has been our second season, and we're so excited to bring you brand new topics and fantastic guests for season three. Thank you guys for listening. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse and Decorating the Set on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, people. Five stars. Decorating the set from Hollywood to your home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>